0: Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know, it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. Please open up your Bibles to the 12th chapter of Romans. 12th chapter of Romans. It's interesting that we... Remembering and celebrating today, Veterans Day, that's coming up this week and remembering the wars and the battles. It's interesting, maybe a coincidence, but that I am speaking this morning on what is at times a war and a battle in the life of the evangelical church. So what I want to do is I prepare... Just to speak on the subject, I, I want to just say a few things. I want to try to express my heart here. I'm standing before you humbly this morning. I'm going to preach my convictions, but I'm well aware that in the historical church, the church that loves Jesus Christ, the church that longs to walk and to work and to speak in the power of the Spirit that there are great, godly, brilliant people on either side of the issue uh, that I'm going to talk about this morning. Some of them just giants of history that would have a different opinion that I'm going to share with you and others, giants of history, theologians that would line up. There is two main divisions on the topic that I'm going to talk about. That's not going to perfectly fit everyone within Christianity, but the majority will line up either under one of these two camps. Romans chapter 12, verse 6. Let me read the verse and then I'll tell you what the subject is. If you were here last week, you'll remember. I told you where we were going. Paul writes in the sixth verse of Romans chapter 12, referring to the gifts, spiritual gifts that people have, Christians have within the church there at Rome. He writes, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. That's as far as we're going to get today right there. Actually, what we're going to do is we're going to use Romans chapter 6 as I did last week as a point of departure. Because what I want to do is I want to look deeper into this gift of prophecy and talk about it in relationship to a few other gifts that are usually um, put in a category of gifts, a small category of gifts that bring the controversy that exists in the evangelical church over this subject. Some lining up on one side of the issue and some on the other. I'll tell you what both of those are in a moment. First, let me remind you of what we looked at last week. We just spent some time last Sunday pulling out some truths, as we took a point of departure from Romans, we went over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, and we looked at this gift of prophecy. And we drew some truths from those chapters related to this gift of prophecy. Let me just tell you what they were quickly. I won't preach them, but I want to mention them. First of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul communicates that the gift of prophecy is one of the greater gifts. He's giving a list of priority. He gives it second on the list in the 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Then Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, that we should desire the spiritual gifts, especially, particularly, the gift of prophecy. So what is the gift? A prophecy, just a real quick reminder sketch from 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We saw that the gift of prophecy is a revelation that comes from God. It's not just this picture of what's gonna happen in the future. That's pretty customarily how we use the word prophecy. But in the New Testament... Paulus writing here to the Church of Corinth was not just this foretelling of future events, but it was a revelation insight that came from God and was given to someone with this gift of prophecy. And specifically, it was an immediate revelation, meaning... It's not something that they thought through and deduced through kind of mental calisthenics or cognitive ability. It is something that was dropped into their mind that they couldn't have known otherwise unless God had given it to them through his spirit. Whether it was about something that would happen or about something that is happening and... The world or in the church or in a person's life or something that God wants to say to an individual to encourage them or instruct them or build them up, this insight from God immediate, not by their effort, but just dropped into their mind by the Spirit of God to be used to help grow and build up and console and minister to a variety of things. And we saw that from 1 Corinthians 14, for it said, "Let in the church, let two or three prophets speak, and if one's speaking and while he's speaking, this revelation from God comes to another, that's immediate, that's dropped in, then the first speaker finishes, the prophet finishes, and the second comes up and shares that word, but the point is immediate not deduced, not figured out, given, granted by God. And then finally the last thing that we looked at and this is going to seem on the surface like it's a little contradictory to the last truth but it's this, that the gift of prophecy is fallible. It's not perfect. It's not inerrant. We say, well, if it's a revelation from God dropped into a person's mind for them to share, to build others up, to do some kind of a benefit to those that would hear, then how could it not be an error if it's from God? Because it comes through a broken vessel, a broken person, a sinful heart and a sinful mind. You see, it's, and we'll look at this a little bit later, but This gift of prophecy is not like the gift of apostleship or like the gift of the prophets in the Old Testament. You see, the gift of apostleship, there was a superintendence of the Holy Spirit over the lives of the apostles so that they could communicate truth, speak truth, write truth, and do so by verbal inspiration from God, meaning without error. Imperfection. Exactly what God wanted communicated without it being perverted or tweaked through the human venue. That's different than the gift of prophecy that Paul is referring to in the New Testament because he says when those prophets are speaking, one speaking and the second gets a revelation from God that the first finishes, the second shares, and then what they say should be weighed. It should be tested. You need to check it out. And he says in another location, what is good, hold it, but what is not, let it go. So that means it's not inerrant. It's not perfect. It comes through a broken vessel. There's all kinds of implications uh, to that that I don't have time to give you right now. But those are the truths that we looked at last week. But here is what we did not do that I told you we were going to do today. What we didn't do is ask the question is that gift of prophecy for today? Or was it only related to that period of time in history during that apostolic age, during that time when they didn't have a New Testament written down, an authoritative body of truth that they could look to, was it only for that day and now has ceased to exist? Or is it a gift that the Spirit of God is still dispensing sovereignly today as He chooses? Hopefully by the end of this message we'll have at least a biblical framework to try to work an answer out in our own heart and mind. I know where I'm lined up and I'm going to tell you where that is as we go through this. But I want to do that humbly. I want to do it in love. I know at times I've had many share this. I can get pretty passionate about the truth that I'm speaking about, that I'm preaching and teaching. But that doesn't mean I'm dogmatic. I'm just passionate about it. I'm fallible. I blow it. I make mistakes, right? I don't have the gift of apostleship to communicate inerrantly. I have a gift that is fallible and is in error because it comes through my brokenness. But what I share, I share with deep conviction. And so I can get uh, excited about it, but I want you to know my heart is humble and not dogmatic. It It is a heart that longs to do whatever I do in love, And to help model that for you so that when you use your gifts, you do so humbly and in love. So let's ask the question and see if we can find an answer to this issue. Is the gift of prophecy only for the New Testament era or is it for the church of today? And I'm going to take that gift and I'm grouping it with other gifts that are commonly grouped with that gift. Those are the sign gifts. Or the miraculous gifts. Like the gift of tongues. The gift of prophecy that we're talking about. The gift of knowledge. The gift of signs and wonders. The gift of healing. There's about five gifts that are commonly linked into this category called the miraculous and the two different interpretations are there's one group that says they were only for the New Testament era during the time of the apostles and shortly thereafter and the other group says no that they are still in force and available and being used by the Spirit of God today. So camp number one. Let me give you the framework Behind which those that say that these gifts are no longer available for us today. Let me give you kind of the lie. I'm going to do my best to be fair in this description, not exhaustive, but fair. Those that hold to this opinion say that the reason behind the miraculous gifts, the reason that the Spirit of God gave them to the apostles was really kind of twofold. Number one, it was meant to validate their apostleship. And secondly, it was meant to validate the message of Christ that they were preaching and teaching. And can you see why? The miraculous gifts of the Spirit being exercised in the lives of the apostles would do just that. It would validate their apostleship and validate the truth of what they were speaking. And by the way, they had those gifts. No question about it, the Acts, the story of Acts and other places in the New Testament uh, is replete with many examples of God's Spirit working in mighty ways through miracles and signs and wonders through the apostles. And what it did is just what I described. It validated their apostleship and it validated the truth Of what they were preaching. And the way that that works. Is that. When a miracle or a sign. Or a wonder something. Otherworldly. Takes place through a worldly man. There's an indication. That something is going on. That's bigger than that man. When that man can. Do what no man can do. Do then it gives a stamp of divine involvement in that person's life. And God's Spirit used that powerfully in the lives of the apostles to validate their apostleship with the growing church and to validate the message of Christ to a lost world that they were speaking that message to. So that is absolutely true. That happened and it accomplished those two purposes. And the logic behind that on those that don't believe those gifts are for today say that the reason is because there was no body of truth recognized New Testament. There was the Old Testament, but there was no recognized New Testament that gave a definitive authoritative answer on how the church was to be run and structured and how followers of christ were to live and to act and what they were to do there was no body of truth identifiable that was authoritative and so what god had to do was he had to work in signs and in wonders and in miracles through the lives of the apostles to show that divine stamp of approval on them so people would see their teaching as authoritative now that makes sense that makes sense And that did happen. But then the next deduction that is made is that once the New Testament had been compiled, you know, those apostles and those that served with them in ministry, the authoring of these 27 letters that eventually got brought together and compiled that universally was accepted as letters of divine inspiration until they became compiled and organized into a book that we now call the New Testament that these miraculous gifts were needed. But when then that was completed, the New Testament was canonized, then no longer were those gifts needed because we have the full body of truth that we need. So no longer do we need to have these miracles and these signs and wonders to get the truth that we need. We've got it right here. Um, That makes sense. It's not just reaching for something empty. There's thought there. There's depth of, of thought process and reasoning and Attempt to be true to the scriptures. Let me tell you what their great concern is. That if it is believed that these gifts continue today, such as the gift we're talking about, the gift of prophecy, the way that they define that gift is central to the issue here on the interpretation. The way they define that gift is they define it equal with the prophets of the Old Testament and the apostles of the New. That that gift of prophecy comes with inerrancy, comes with verbal inspiration so that if that gift were still operating today, there would be prophets today and what would they be doing they would be speaking and writing truth that was on a par with the new testament so, therefore, we couldn't have a completed, identified body of truth that we could go to as an authority in the New Testament and say, that's it, that's the truth, once delivered for all the saints, we can go there to get our answers because we'd always be wondering, well, is that all of it? I mean, more's being written every day, right? I can't get a handle on this body of truth and what it is so that we can have certainty over what we need to do and how we need to live. And so there's a great legitimate concern behind that. If this gift of prophecy is in fact a gift that brings this verbal inspiration, divine inerrancy, so that that gift is on par with the gift of the apostles themselves. But I believe we can see scripturally that as I've already mentioned, that it's not an inerrant gift because Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 29 and 30, make sure you check what the prophet says. Don't just take it blindly as an inerrant, authoritative word from God. He might have messed up. He's a broken person and it might come through him in a perverted way. God gave it right, but it didn't quite get through the channel without it getting tweaked and without him taking away something that he should have said or adding something that he shouldn't. So make sure you check it, weigh it, test it. That's not the only place that he said that. First Thessalonians five nineteen through twenty-two he says, Don't despise prophecies and then test everything. So it's not inerrant. It's to be checked. It's not to just be blindly and immediately embraced. We're to take it with some skepticism evaluate it, and what are we to weigh it against? What are we to check it against? We'll go into that in more detail later, but it's right at the end of verse 6 of chapter 12 of Romans. He's supposed to use it in proportion to his faith. We're going to next week look at what that statement, proportion to his faith, means But what it's talking about is check it with Scripture. Check it with the identified, authoritative, defined truth once for all delivered to the saints that is never going to change and can never be added to. Check it with that. That's the authority. So I really greatly appreciate the heart behind those that say godly men, brilliant men, much more brilliant than me that say this gift was only for the New Testament church, I appreciate their desire to protect the Word of God, to hold it up as the inerrant verbal inspiration of God that came to the author's, of those 27 letters in such a way that although they wrote it down, they wrote exactly what God wanted them to write and did it with error I believe that with all of my being I want that conviction to come through every time I preach this right here is God's word it is inerrant in its original manuscripts it is the verbal inspiration of God and it is a closed book we're never going to add to it there's no more apostles there's no more authoritative inerrant writing that matches up to the prophets of the Old Testament or the apostles of the two. It's a closed book. It's the truth once delivered to the saints. In other words, it's not going to be re-delivered in a new way. It's once delivered. It's done. It's complete. It's full. It's sufficient. So, that's kind of the mindset or the interpretation of those that believe it's only for those gifts are only for the New Testament church and here's the primary passage they use to validate that or to pull that interpretation from is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. There's a few other verses but this would be primary. First Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Let me read those first three verses for you, and we'll begin to just look closely here. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 10. If you, if, you, if you have your Bible, I'm really encouraging you to look there. If you need a Bible along the back of each section of chairs, there's black Bibles there. On page 960, you'll find this. Paul writes, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. I want you to notice there in that passage, first of all, that Paul is identifying three of these miraculous gifts here. Prophecies, tongues, and knowledge and he says something about them. What does he say that, is, that will happen to them? He says that they're going to end. You see that? Prophecies will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. So the question is not, are these gifts, these miraculous gifts like the gift of prophecy, are they temporary? Absolutely they're temporary. Undeniably from Scripture, they're temporary. They're going to end. They're going to cease. The question is, when will these gifts cease? That's the question that we're trying to answer today. When are they going to cease? So what I want to do is I want to look really closely at these five verses here and see, here's a Here's a cardinal rule of biblical hermeneutics or biblical interpretation. You look at the context to explain the text. First of all, the immediate context. So we're going to look closely and see if we can find an answer to the question, not are they going to cease? We know they are. It says it explicitly. But when will these gifts cease? And what Paul says in verse 10, his answer to that question in verse 10 is that they will cease, quote, when the perfect comes. Right now, there's incomplete and partial. In the way of prophecies and tongues and knowledge. But in verse 10. There's going to be a time. When the perfect comes. And when the perfect comes. Look what's going to happen. End of verse 10. The partial will pass away. Meaning the prophecies and the tongues. And the knowledge or the word of knowledge. They're going to pass away. When the perfect comes. Why? Because if they're imperfect and partial, and then the perfect shows up, what in the world are you going to want to go back to the imperfect and the partial? When you got perfection, you don't need those anymore. And they then become academically obsolete, right? We're waiting for the perfection. But when that perfection comes, what that means is the impartial is going to cease and is going to pass away and no longer exist. So the question then that we're trying to answer is when is the perfect going to come that's the question upon which the answer to a proper interpretation seems to me has to hang when is the perfect going to come so i is asking you to consider this then let's check the interpretation is the perfect going to come or did the perfect come when the New Testament was fully completed and those 27 letters were identified as bearing the divine authority of verbal inspiration and they were gathered together and compiled into this second half of the Bible, the New Testament. When we had that, we had that perfect body of knowledge. Is that when the perfect came so that the Spirit stopped giving these miraculous gifts because they were no longer necessary because the perfect had now shown up. They were now obsolete and unneeded. So I just want you to think about that. Just rhetorically think through that in your mind as we go through this. And let's ask the question here. Remember what we're looking for. Is there an indication in the text that tells us when the perfect either has come or will come or looking for an answer to that question and if you look at verse 12 i think we have it paul writes in verse 12 for now we see in a mirror dimly but then face to face now i know in part then i shall know fully even as i have been fully known what i want you to do here is i want you to see this comparison and this The way that Paul is explaining and teaching here, paralleling what he said in verses 9 and 10 with what he says in verse 12. He says in verse 12, now we see in a mirror dimly. Talking about his day as he's writing that to the church at Corinth. He says now we see dimly as in a mirror. Go back to verse 9. Listen to verse 9 and the parallel. For we know, now we know, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Do you see the parallel with verse 12? Now we see in a mirror dimly. Verse 9, for now we know in part and we prophesy in part. There's this incomplete view or incomplete picture or incomplete insight. And then verse 10, but when the perfect comes, the partial is going to pass away. Second half of verse 12, look at the parallel. But then we're going to see face to face. Then we're going to see face to face. When the perfect comes, verse 10, verse 12, but then we're going to see face to face. And what are we going to know? Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. The partial is going to pass away. I know in part, I prophesy in part, but when I see face to face, no longer is there going to be an impartial. No longer is there going to be an imperfect. Then I am going to know fully, even as I am fully known. There's this direct parallel, verses 9 and 10 and verse 12, that Paul is giving us an indication of what he's talking about here related to when the perfect comes. And so when the perfect comes... Is when we see face to face. That's the answer from the context. When the perfect comes, is when we see face to face. So, question. Let's apply that to this interpretation that the gifts have ceased is the canonization of the New Testament an issue that lines up with what Paul is writing here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 saying the perfect has now come. No longer now do we know in part and prophesy in part. Now we have this completed authoritative body of literature called the New Testament. So now we don't have imperfect knowledge anymore. Now we don't see imperfectly anymore. We see face to face. Has that happened with the canonization of the New Testament? I would say pretty clear that it At least in my conviction, I'm not being judgmental here or condemning, again, brilliant men on both sides of this issue that I love and respect and learn from all the time in my study. Some of them dead hundreds of years. But the point is, I don't see, as I look at the church, the truth that we now know fully. I think we still know in part. That's why there's two sides to this issue. Because we don't know fully, we know in part. We have an imperfect knowledge. Certainly the New Testament as it was given by the Holy Spirit to the apostles is perfect. I am absolutely convinced of the perfection of the New Testament. But I don't think that is the perfection that Paul is referring to here. He's talking about us. For now we know in part but then... Perfectly. so the issue here is not something outside of the believer it's a reality about the person of the believer and so what does then fit with this picture of the perfect coming which will be the demarcation, the time when these gifts will pass away. What is that event in which the perfect comes? I want you to look at First John chapter 3 verse 2. First John chapter 3 verse 2. If you have your Bibles, I'm encouraging you please turn there. A little letter toward the very end of the New Testament. Close to the end of the New Testament. It's only a few pages long. You could easily miss it. First John chapter 3 verse 2 Listen to what the apostle John wrote Beloved we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when he appears we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is When Jesus returns, we are literally going to see him as he is. We're going to see him, folks, face to face. We're going to see him face to face. And when we see him face to face on the great day of the Lord, when he returns, John says that something is going to end. I'm going to give it to you, not in verbiage that's here, but I'm just going to kind of give you a doctrinal overview of this. There is an age that's going to end, and here's the age. The age of sanctification is going to end. You know what sanctification is? It's a time of growth. You and I, if you're a follower of Christ, I am. I'm growing. I'm on a process. I haven't arrived. I've got a long way to go yet. The great apostle Paul said, not that I've already obtained all this, but I am moving forward. I'm pressing on. I'm striving toward something up there yet that I haven't got to. Even the great apostle Paul was in a growth process. That's sanctification. And when Jesus comes back, that age of sanctification is going to end. Why is it going to end? Because... We're going to see him face to face. Listen. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It's the seeing him as he is unveiled, not in a mirror dimly, but face to face, when we get that view, there is going to be such a powerful transaction that happens when we look into the face of the glorified Lord Jesus Christ that view of His glory is going to be so powerful that it's going to be radically transformational and we are going to be in an instant, in a moment, transformed to become like Him. I don't mean equal with Him, but in some degree of glory, we're going to be transformed to become like Him and it's going to happen because we see Him as He is. That's the face to face. That's the moment when the imperfect becomes. Perfect When the incomplete becomes complete. That's the moment then we would say, why in the world am I going to go back to prophecy to try to get a revelation or tongues to try to get a word from God? I'm seeing him as he is. I'm seeing Jesus as he is. And all the truth of God is found in the person of Jesus. So if I can see him as he is, why do I need the impartial? Perfect and incomplete of prophecy and tongues. I don't need them anymore. They become obsolete. So again, I want to calm my own emotions down here. I'm, I get excited about that day, but I want you to understand this. We've got to use our giftings in humility and in love. Again, there are people infinitely, almost smarter and biblically astute than me on the other side of this issue. I know that. But listen, I'm, and I'll give you some names just to show you how significant this is Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards be the most brilliant mind of American history, greatest theologian of American history, I think, without question, that was on the other side of this issue. It said the gifts ceased. But listen, here's the truth. True for me and true for them. They are not inerrant. The gift of the apostles ended with the death of the apostles. That aspect of the gift that communicated verbal inspiration through them without error. That is not true of anyone else down through history. That was exclusive to the Old Testament prophets and to the apostles of the New Testament. That is not true of Luther and other great men down through history. I give you one example of that. Now, this is a very broad simplification, but many of the great reformers, Luther and those of his day, believed in baptismal regeneration. We know, I mean, just almost universally across the church, we believe that's not true baptismal regeneration in other words i know that's i probably should define that there's nothing that happens when you get in that tub over there that saves you jesus saves you it's faith in christ that saves you you don't get regenerated when you go into the water right if you get half dunked you're not half saved right the point is jesus saves faith in him His effectual calling, bringing the Spirit's effectual calling, bringing you to Christ, giving you faith to believe that's what saves. It's not something in the water. See, the point is, I'm not, I'm not slamming the reformers. I'm just saying that We have an authoritative body of truth that's given to us in the Word of God and those that have written about the various doctrines down through history are not that and so we always need to check and to test and to weigh and to look and to study and to pray and we need to do it humbly and we need to communicate on these issues of division humbly. I'm doing it passionately, but I want you to hear my heart. I'm doing it humbly. I'm not an errant. I'm very frail. I'm very broken and yet at the same time I'm very convinced that the gifts these miraculous gifts are still for the church today because the context to me seems so clearly to point to the day that we see Jesus face to face that's when the complete is going to come There are other verses taking a larger context now of the New Testament. There are other verses that could be used to back up this interpretation that the gifts still continue today. I'll just give you, uh, mm, I'm about out of time here. Uh, Maybe you just reflect on this, Acts chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, day of Pentecost. 120 believers thousands gathered hear the rushing of the wind spirit is poured out enabling them to speak in tongues that they did not know languages that they did not know so that all of this eclectic group of people different ethnic based people those that spoke different languages are hearing them declare the wonders of God in their own language they're wondering what's going on here this is unexplicable Some said they're drunk, and Peter said this. This is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Peter quoted the Old Testament prophet Joel, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. On your... Goes on to saying, your manservants and your maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit and they will prophesy. So, multi-ethnic, dual gender, variety of ages. The spirit is going to be poured out and they shall prophesy. And he says, Today, as he's standing there on the day of Pentecost, Peter says, this is what Joel was talking about. This is the last days when this is now being fulfilled. This is the last days. So I ask you, if that was the last days, what are these? The last days after the last days? The point is, we're still in the last days. I think I can give you biblical evidence that we're still in the last days. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things and through whom He also created the world. Here's the point. There's a demarcation. There's a a bracket there that defines by the writer of Hebrew what is meant by the last days, what inaugurated them, what began them. And here it is. Jesus coming the first time began the last days. And we're still in those days. There's nothing in Scripture that says those days ended. And they were called the last days. Therefore, we're still in the last days waiting for the final day. We're in this day of sanctification, waiting for the new era of glorification that's going to take place when Jesus comes back a second time and ends our sanctification and glorifies us and ushers us into the eternal reality of glorification. That'll be the end of that age. We haven't got there yet. We're still in it. So, If, and I, I mean this with my heart, from an fallible position and an imperfect mind and an imperfect gift of preaching, I say this if. If that's the right interpretation, if that's an accurate interpretation of the New Testament, then how critical is Paul's teaching in Romans chapter 12 verse 6 for the church today. And the teaching is everybody should be using their gift. And then he lists seven or eight. And the first one he lists is prophecy. And he says if your gift is prophecy you need to use it. And you need to use it in proportion to the faith. If the interpretation is right, then the gift of prophecy is still valid for today, still needed for today and the Spirit of God uses it today and it's one of the greatest gifts because it brings the greatest impact how critical it is then that we do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in verse 1 when he says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts especially that you may prophesy. Now, That's not all that we're going to say about this. It's all we're going to say today, but that's not all we're going to say, and here's why. I think it's very important that you understand this. I know I'm late here, but I think it's really critical that you understand this. I'm not saying this uh, at all. It may come off like this, but I'm not saying this from an arrogant heart. I believe that's true. I'm trying to check my own heart here. I don't even know my own heart well. Spirit of God ultimately is the one that knows it. But I'm not afraid to preach the tough subjects of Scripture. I love going through large sections like expository preaching and the greatest, I think, Romans... You know what we get to in Romans if we go sequentially through Romans we get to every major doctrine at some point in Romans every major doctrine in Christianity and so what we have done in the last five years as we went through this is that we've come to these doctrines and we've used them as points of departure to go from Romans and see what the counsel of the word of God says in a broad way bringing that to bear that truth to bear on the truths that are in this book because I'm called to do my best to give you the full counsel of the Word of God. Not the easy counsel, not the stuff that I've already learned and can do without work, but to give you the full counsel of the Word of God. And so I'm not afraid to do that, but here is how that has to be done. Here's the point. When we get to controversial issues that can bring division and that people feel passionate about on either sides of the issue, when we get to those, I can't just come to it and say, oh yeah, gift of prophecy still here for today and those that don't believe that have misinterpreted scripture, next subject and move on. If I do that, I am alienating probably half this church. I'm not working for the unity and the blessing and the building up. What is required when we get to those is that we take time to make sure that we use it as a point of departure and look at a broad spectrum of what the truth of the Word of God says so that we can get a balanced and kind of, we can't get it fully comprehensive but to the best of our ability, comprehensive understanding of what the Word of God says. And when it's an issue like this that can be so divisive, you say, why do you say that Well, that's why he wrote two chapters of the New Testament to the church of Corinth because there was great division taking place because the gifts were being misused, particularly miraculous gifts. Therefore, when we come to this, we've got to make sure that we slow down and we use it as a point of departure to get this overall perspective of what the Word of God says so that we don't start drawing lines and we don't start using this gift out of Something other than love and something other than humility and something other than service and instead kind of prop ourselves up and act in pride and judge people by the gifts that they have. And so what we have to do is we've got to get a balanced picture so that this church isn't fractured because that would be directly against the heart of God because he, to Corinthians writes this letter and says some of you say i follow paul and i follow apollos and i follow this teaching or that look at that's all meaningless it's all jesus agree together and most importantly, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. Right in the middle of this intense discussion of the vision is chapter 13 where he unpacks this truth and he says, let me show you the most excellent way. In other words, the way most excellent that you're to use all of your gifts and that is love. That's love. You could have the ability to understand every prophecy and have all knowledge and perform a healing any time that you wanted if you didn't have love it would be absolutely worthless so you see, we have to take time. We have to understand the broader perspective so that we don't fall into the trap that we're liable because of our brokenness to fall into. We've got to get it balanced. We've got to see the counsel of the word of God in large measure so that we can walk through these challenging doctrines and challenging waters without get drowning or drowning other people in the process. And as a shepherd, I can't do that. And so we're going to go at the speed with which we can process it. Now, you might disagree with what that speed is, but I'm the one up here and you're not, so we're just going to have to (laughs) go with my speed. Okay. That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) Would you please stand? Father, Thank you for your word. God, just work in the hearts now. The the seed has been spread and spread in a fallible way. Not a perfect way. I know that. But thank you that you're God over my brokenness and over our brokenness. So take it and do it it, what you want Lord and what I'm asking you I'm asking you to protect us from the enemy I know what the enemy wants to do I'm not unaware of his schemes just like scripture says and what he wants to do is divide he wants to get inside and he wants to bring division that's where he is most effective and so I'm asking that you would just protect us by your spirit and by your truth your spirit would just speak to us any time that we are beginning to feel spiritual or righteous about the position that we hold that we would let it go out of love and humility yes be fully convinced and yes understand that we are broken and prone to error And that what is more important than our accuracy of understanding is the depth of our love. Help us to do that, Lord, for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.